Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast features experts to help writers of all genres incorporate more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, acclaimed international bestseller Robert Dugoni steps into the interrogation room to clear up a few things about his writing and his craft. Robert Dugoni is the critically acclaimed New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and number one Amazon bestselling author of the Tracy Cross White Police Detective Series set in Seattle, which has sold more than 5 million books worldwide to date. He's also the author of the Charles Jenkins Espionage Series and the David Sloan Legal Thriller Series. His books are sold in more than 25 countries and have been translated into more than two dozen languages. His standalone novels include The Seventh Canon, Damage Control, and a literary novel entitled The Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell. Several of his novels have been optioned for movies and television series. Dagoni is the recipient of the Nancy Pearl Award for Fiction and the two-time winner of the Friends of Mystery Spotted Owl Award for Best Novel Set in the Pacific Northwest. He's also a two-time finalist for the International Thriller Award, the Harper Lee Prize for Legal Fiction, the Silver Falcon Award for Mystery, and the Mystery Writers of America Edgar Award. Uh, welcome to Writers on the Beat, Robert. It's, it's such an honor to have you here today. I'm very grateful for your time, sir. No, I'm, I appreciate you having me. Are you kidding me? This is, this is fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm reading The Last Agent right now, and this is such an incredible story. For everyone who didn't get an advanced copy of this, what do you want readers to know about this latest novel? Well, um, I wanted to know that it's the second in the series, but it, it does stand on its own. Uh, I, I play fair with the reader. I never write a book that you have to read in order to read the second book. Um, it certainly wouldn't hurt to read the eighth sister ahead of time. But this is the story of an of a, uh, African-American man who used to work for the Central Intelligence Agency. And he's kind of dragged back in uh, under false pretenses in the eighth sister. And he manages to escape Russia alive. But when he gets back, the, the last agent starts with him being home. Uh, he comes to realize it's brought to his attention that the woman who really was responsible for saving his life may very well be in uh, Russia's worst political prison, which is called Lepertovo prison. And, um, you know, he just, he's a man of high moral character and he, he decides he's got, he can't let her, he can't let her die. Mm -hmm. He needs, he needs to get her out. So uh, it's really, it's a, it's a fun book to write. Um, these, these espionage stories are fun books mm -hmm. because I get to rely on a lot of my friends that do great things like ride snowmobiles and fly, you know, bush planes and uh, scuba dive. And, and um, it's, it's a chase book, you know, it's a yes. one guy trying to avoid getting caught and another guy trying to catch him. Now with this being book two in the, in this Charles Jenkins series, I wonder if you're willing to share with readers what the origin stories are, what inspired this character and then uh, his adventures in the eighth sister and the last age. Sure. I, I actually, um, wrote about Charles Jenkins in the David Sloan series I had, which was David Sloan was a, a lawyer. It was a, it was a, a legal thriller series. And Charles Jenkins was a, um, a man who, because of his past background in, um, in Mexico City, he and, Je he and Sloan had this, this past they didn't know about. And mm -hmm. um, 
So I started writing the Charles Jenkins series, uh, character in the David Sloan series, and people liked him so much that I included him as, as uh, David Sloan's private investigator. What's interesting about it, the origins of it, is that um, Charles Jenkins is premised upon my former law school roommate. Um, <laughs> Charlie was a uh, six foot five African American man in law school that I used to always say uh, men cross the street to get away from him <laughs> and, and women cross the street to get in front of him. Uh, really a good looking guy, really well built, um, you know, it, it just, it, and just a great guy, a kind heart, uh, a good man. Um, and I, uh, I always used to kid him and tell him, I'd say, Chad, someday I'm going to put you in a book. And he'd laugh at me and say, you know, yeah, okay, sure. I'll believe it when I see it. So you know, um, we, I think writers rely a lot on people in our life, whether we, you know, whether we admit it or not. Um, but I, I, I always admit it because, uh, like I said, um, you know, it was a promise I made to Charlie and I, and I kept that promise. Now, with us being in, in the middle of this COVID pandemic that keeps everyone, everyone from traveling anywhere beyond the local grocery store and the quick mart. I, I wonder uh, when you started, the, when did you start this project and what was your research and travel like for this largely Russia based novel? Yeah, no, I, I, um, I actually was in Russia for three weeks um, many years ago. It was back in, I think 1998 and I spent a lot of time um, back there and it was, it was not far after sort of Glasnost and mm -hmm. Perestroika and all that stuff. And it was a really, really interesting time to be in Russia uh, because you were really seeing sort of the fall, not just of the Iron Curtain, but you were seeing the fall of the facade that people mm -hmm. put placed in front of themselves because they had to. They were afraid that, you know, if they ever opened their mouth or did anything, uh, you know, they'd end up in, in some prison somewhere. And so um, we spent, I spent about uh, 10 days in Moscow and then I spent time in um, uh, St. Petersburg, and then we spent time in some other smaller cities. Um, you know, a difficult, difficult uh, country to sort of navigate because not only is the language completely different, but not many people spoke English because they didn't have to. Sure. And, uh, and also they didn't, uh, the Cyrillic alphabet, so it's a different alphabet. Uh, so it, it, you couldn't necessarily read street signs and things like that. But um, so we relied a, a lot upon the kindness of the Russian people. And what, what we found was they were extremely welcoming and, and, and very, very kind and would go out of their way to really, to really help you get places and do things. So um, I kept an extensive journal and um, photographs. And, you know, I, I, I never knew whether back in those days I was practicing law and I never knew whether I was going to get to my dream of, of writing novels. But it was just something that I always remember and kept track of. Um, and so when I, when I came up with this idea, um, you know, I had, I had a uh, former officer kind of come to me and tell me a, a story. And the short of a long story is I, I said, you know, I think it's all very interesting, but it's not very sexy. You know, what's sexy right now is Russia because of Putin and because of the elections and because of all the things that, you know, are going on in Russia. And, and so after that, Gavin, it was really just a matter of doing what we writers do we you know um i brought out all the photographs i brought out the journal and then i i probably read you know 15 books uh on you know on the soviet union on uh you know czarist russia on the modern day russia 
And then, you know, Google Maps, it, mm -hmm. sounds, it sounds funny, but it's, uh, you know, it, it was great for helping me sort of refresh my recollection. What was the Metropolitan Hotel like? Uh, what did Lefertovo, uh, not Lefertovo, but what did um, Lubyanka look like? And what was near Lubyanka? And what's there now so I could do it and do it accurately? Um, so, you know, uh, I, do, I do a lot of research. I try to always write about places where I've been. But you're right. Um, COVID has really impacted uh, us. And uh, it's limited what we can do. And so as writers, we have to adapt. And, um, and go back to some of the old basics, which is just good old-fashioned research. Now, I wonder, uh, following the acclaim and the success of The Eighth Sister, I, I wonder what kind of pressure that put on you for writing this next in series. And when you finally sent this final manuscript off, like, what, was the, what was the emotion like? Were you relieved to be done, or were you uh, kind of anxious you hadn't done enough? No, I... Um... You know, when, when, uh, when the A-Sister was kind of just getting ready to go to press, um, my, my editors at Thomas and Mercer said, you know, we really think that this is a book that's going to catch fire and we think that it's, people are going to want more. Do you have more ideas for him? And there was one line in one chapter of the book that sort of precluded me from writing The Last Agent. And I called up my editor, Gracie Doyle, and I said, Gracie, if we take out that sentence and leave it ambiguous, I can write you a whole nother book. <laughs> and she was like, let's do it. And, you know, so, you know, thank God for computers and, and, uh, you know, modern technology, because we were able to get it out, you know, of the, of the books before the books went to print and audio was done and all that stuff. And so I, I knew right away what the second novel was going to be. The third novel has actually been a bigger challenge um, because, you know, one of the things I have going against me is you never want your character to look like an idiot. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jenkins is going to go back for a third time. And given what's happened in the first two books, anybody that's read those first two books, they're going to be going, what is this guy, an idiot? You know, uh, so I have to have a really solid foundational reason mm -hmm. that he would go back. And, um, and I think I have it. And I'm going to go kind of in a completely different direction uh, in the third novel that I'm, I'm kind of working on in between a, a second literary novel that, that I've uh, sold and I'm working on the edits to that. So I'm, you know, I'm, I got a couple of balls in the air at the moment. Yeah, that kind of reminds me, I heard a comedian recently. Uh, well, I saw it recently. It's probably not that recent, but uh, he was talking about Liam Neeson's uh, Taken movie series. And he said, you know, mm -hmm. at some point the guy's just a bad dad. You know? Yeah, and yeah. so you know maybe it's a, at some point Charles needs to reconsider. You know what? What are how much he actually wants to live? You know. <laughs> well, you know this this will this will be it for for Russia, and and it it really does play in nicely with the whole, whole concept of you know the seven sisters that were established in in my mm -hmm. book, the eighth sister. And um, but yeah, you're right. You you kind of do reach the point where it's like okay, well. He's just an idiot, uh, and and then you then you lose reader uh, you lose reader confidence, and you don't want to do that. So, um, but if I keep if I keep Jenkins going beyond the third book, I would I would have him go other places. Um, mm -hmm. My 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 siblings and I were all headed to Egypt in October. Mm. Well, that isn't that's not happening anymore. Um, you know, so I've been I've been to Africa, 
and I thought that there might be something we could do there. And I was supposed to go back to Africa in June and that didn't happen. So mm -hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Like you said, it's going to be very interesting how these, uh, how all these international stories play out. In terms of your writing career and having been an attorney while you were still an aspiring writer, I wonder when you first knew that you wanted to write professionally and then secondly, when you actually wrote something someone else wanted to read? Um, yeah, seventh grade. Uh, <laughs> early. Seventh grade, very early. And I mean, I, I remember it distinctly and clearly. We were given an assignment to write and give a speech on slavery. And mm -hmm. we could give it from the perspective of a slave owner, uh, an abolitionist, or a slave. And I chose an abolitionist. And, um, and I, wrote, I was at home and I wrote this speech and Boy, I really worked on it. I really wanted it to be real. And, and uh, I wrote it as, as I was going to deliver it like I was really the abolitionist. And um, I got to class and I got up and I gave my speech. And, you know, when you're in the seventh grade, you, everybody gives you sort of polite applause, mm -hmm. and sit down and, mm -hmm. you know, and I got nothing. I mean, I got wow. dead silence. And my teacher was standing there sort of staring at me, Sister Kathleen, uh, with this blank look on her face. And... <laughs> And I was a kid that screwed around a lot. I got in trouble a lot in school. Uh, I had older siblings, so I was a smart ass. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I thought, oh, boy, uh, my mother's going to get called again. Mm -hmm. And um, she took me outside and told me to stand there. And I was coming up with all kinds of excuses. My brother wrote it. Uh, <laughs> all these things. Like I plagiarized it. You know, I, anything I could think of. And she came back out. She brought me in the classroom and she said, she smiled at me and she said, give your speech. She wanted others to hear it. And what a, what a terrific teacher she was to do something like that for a young student because it just, it inspired me. And I have, I had, have a mother, uh, she's 88 now, but um, she started out as an English teacher. She became an accountant, but while she was an English teacher, she had all these terrific books and um, she used to give them to me all the time. I have nine brothers and sisters, but for wow. whatever reason, I was the one that, that she would hand me these books. And the books she would hand me, Gavin, was The Count of Monte Cristo, The Old Man and the Sea, oh, yeah. um, Of Mice and Men. Um, you, you, I mean, you name it. You name The, uh, uh, Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I was, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, I had read all these incredible, The Great Gatsby. I read these incredible classics. Um, I got to high school and I had nothing to do in English classes because I'd already read all the books, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and I just fell in love with story. I fell in love with characters and I fell in love with stories. And I was talking to a group of, um, uh, a, a book group yesterday about the extraordinary life of Sam Howell. And I said, you know, I think too often writers get wrapped around the axle and try to write about complicated plots with simple people. And I write, try to write about complicated people in simple plots, because that's how most of our lives are. Mm -hmm. uh, our lives, you know, our lives are pretty mundane, especially now with this whole COVID thing. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's not about creating, you know, uh, fantastical plots. It's about creating characters that people will remember. Well, and it's like you're reading off my notes because I wanted to ask you about your writing mentors. Um, and now that makes me, want to ask more about your mentorship of other writers. I know you're, you're pretty involved in helping aspiring and developing writers find their voice and find their craft. I, I really, I really think that writers owe it 
to writers trying to get published. And I say that because I was there one time at one time. And I think there are a lot of really talented people out there that just can't catch a break. And, and, and sometimes you can provide that break. Um, so I teach the craft of writing, you know, all over the United States. Uh, I've taught it outside of the country in Canada and, and Mexico. Um, and, and I really, really enjoy teaching because I enjoy teaching students that want to be there and really want to get better and really are trying to complete that novel. And sometimes it's just, it's just a book about their life that they want their grandkids to have. Um, and so, you know, I try to, I try to do that. I, I try to read people's manuscripts to provide blurbs. The unfortunate thing is that um, I am becoming so busy between my own work and between um, doing uh, book clubs, which I love to do, and doing interviews like this, which I love to do, that, you know, at some point you have to kind of step back and go, okay, what is it? You know, you got to you got to remember what got you where you're at. And uh, you and I were talking about this before. It's uh, when somebody says, would you like to write the screenplay? You know, my answer is no, because, you know, what I do is I write novels and, and I always have to remember to put that first. That's, that's my job. I'm a novelist. I write novels. Um, I love to teach, but um, that, that can't come first. Um, but, but I think it's, I do think it's really important for writers to give back uh, because I don't know a single writer out there, not one that didn't get help along the way. Now on that note, that blends really well into one of the themes of this podcast is I, I heard once that it takes about a decade of consistent blood, sweat, and tears to become an overnight success. Yeah. And I wonder what your journey was like from aspiring author to acclaimed international bestseller. Uh, 10 years. You hit it right on the head. Um, I probably started writing in about 1994, 95, and the Cyanide Canary was published in 2004. Uh, and, and, you know, because this is a, a podcast, um, you know, that a lot of writers will, will listen to and, and be aware of, um, I, uh, I, made, I made mistakes. Um, I thought because I wrote for the LA Times and, and I had written all my life that, you know, I could write a novel. And, and it's, it's not the same thing. A novel is a craft. Uh, writing novels is a craft. And it wasn't until I stepped back and said, okay, you're not good enough. You're, you know, the rejection letters, you can't blame everyone for the, for, you know, when you get 42 rejection letters, <laughs> there's probably some truth in there. <laughs> there's a common denominator. Yes. And so I stepped back and I went to the how-to sections and I, re, and I, I gave myself an, a practical MFA, I call it. I read Christopher Vogler's book, The Writer's Journey. I read Saul Stein's book on writing. I read Donald Moss's book, How to Write the Breakout Novel. I read Stephen James. I read Lawrence Block. Um, I have a whole library of Writer's Digest books on how to do this and how not to do it and what to do and, and what not to do. And I just can't emphasize enough that you cannot sit down. And I think you do yourself a, a tremendous disservice. I don't know anybody talented enough to sit down without any training at all and just write a novel. Um, you and I were speaking before we got online about the wonderful game of golf. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's very similar. You cannot just pick up a club, step out onto a golf course and shoot 70. It's not going to happen. I don't mm -hmm. care how athletic you are. It's uh, how good your hand-eye coordination is. You have to learn 
the game and you have to learn how to write a novel. Uh, and, you know, once you learn it and once you understand the components of a novel, then it, you can really focus on the characters because you don't have to constantly be thinking what happens next and, and, and trying to manufacture a plot. What you're doing instead is you're creating characters and slipping them into the plot and allowing those characters to function within your setting you've created and within the plot that you created. And that's what brings characters to life. Uh most creatives that I know or have ever met are, are rarely one trick ponies. And there's always something else, some other way that they express themselves beyond the written word or some way that they wish they could. What's yours? Theater. I did theater. I did theater in San Francisco. And uh, again, it was uh, one of those things where I was either arrogant or egotistical or stupid. <laughs> Um, but I was, you know, I was at work, I was a lawyer and I was really not happy. Um, I loved the place where I worked, but I just did not love practicing law. And I uh, picked up the phone one day and I called ACT theater in San Francisco. And I said, do you have any classes for the public? And they said, yeah, what do you do? I said, I'm a lawyer. They said, well, we have classes for lawyers. I said, I don't want those classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I want to, I want an artistic class. I want a real class. And they said, sure. And it's starting tonight. And it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I'm one of those people that, you know, I would have sat there going, oh, maybe I'll go. I don't know if I'll go. I, I, I'm going to look like an hmm. idiot. And I would have talked myself out of it. And I didn't have a chance to talk myself out of it. And I went and I took a class and I took a beginning class. I took another beginning class. I took an intermediate class. I took a, uh, uh, a class on auditioning. And, you know, again, because I, because I didn't know any better, I went and I started auditioning. And I got a lot of thank yous, you know, before I even stepped onto the stage. Uh, <laughs> but, but I got, I did started getting cast in some community theater. Mm. And then I started getting cast in um, equity shows in San mm. Francisco. And I did, uh, I did a show for a year and a half uh, right on Geary Street. And, you know, for me, it was perfect because as, a, you know, when you're a writer, it's all consuming. And you, I really don't see how people can practice law and write. Uh, they must not be married. They must not have kids. They, they must just practice law, come home, sit at the computer and write. But with, with, um, with acting, once you learned your lines and once you did your block, most of the, most of the work is done at night. You know, the, the, uh, the, the rehearsals are at night. The shows are at night. And I could literally, I could, um, I could practice all day long and I could go up at you know six o'clock and go on stage at seven thirty, and be home by ten thirty, and get up and do it all over again. And I just I loved it. I just I truly loved it. And I and I really think that theater is what got me thinking about characters and story. You know what story is being told and what are the characters and why are they two dimensional and why aren't they three dimensional, and how do you not break that fifth plane yet yet get the the audience to feel what the what the character is feeling uh, without breaking that plane um i read a book great book out there it's called um it's uh, on writing by stephen king mm -hmm. i'm a huge stephen king fan i think the guy is a genius you know i think he will go down in in history as one of those guys that uh you know charles dickens and hemingway i mean he's just i think he's a genius but in on writing uh stephen king talked about telepathy and he said that the 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 role of a writer, the goal of a writer is to sit at his or her desk and write a story that is 
so emotionally moving that people he's never or she's never met in a town where she's never been will pick up that book and just by reading the words on a page will laugh, will cry, will uh, have memories uh, of what they did as a child, et cetera, et cetera. And he calls it telepathy. And I, I think wow. that there, there's a lot to that. I really do. Now, at this point, what are you still working towards professionally? And what's one thing that you fear you'll never accomplish? You know, I, I, just, I just don't look at it that way. Um, I get up every morning and I feel, I feel very humbled and very blessed. Uh, to be able to say that I do for a living my passion, I realize how lucky I am. Um, I realize that 99% of the people out there don't get to make a living at what they truly, truly love to do. And I just love to write. I just love to write, Gavin. I mean, I, that's what I do. And, you know, there are no sour grapes. There is, there is no, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. I am just so eternally grateful that I, that I'm doing what I'm doing, that um, I just, like I said, I just feel very blessed and I would, I just can't think of anything else I'd rather do. On that note, I wonder what your current works in progress are and what can your readers and fans look forward to in uh, maybe books, movies, TV, and film from yeah. your uh, characters and your stories in the coming year or two. Yeah, no, I'm really very excited. Um, I we, we actually completed the deal today for uh, the Ace Sister and um, the Last Agent to Roadside Productions, which did Manchester by the Sea. Mm. Very, very smart um, woman uh, bought it and has just great ideas for um, a TV series. So I'm I'm very excited. I hope that happens. Uh, the Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell, a literary novel I wrote. Um, we sold that to a woman who has just tremendous, tremendous credentials, uh, and she is shopping it now for us. Um, so I'm excited about that. But what I'm really excited about is, is I have The Last Agent coming out on September 22nd, mm -hmm. and I have um, uh, the eighth Tracy Crosswhite novel, In Her Tracks, coming out next April. And then I have a, a literary novel, uh, which I'm working on now, a second, no second literary novel called um, The World Played Chess, uh, coming out next September, which is a story of uh, uh, a coming of age story for young men, an 18 year old young man who goes to work on a crew with um, two Vietnam vets. Wow. And so um, very powerful story. Um, I'm, so I'm really excited about it. And, you know, if I can throw a plug in, um, you know, people can learn more about me and what I do at, um, at my website uh, at Robert Dagoni, uh, robertdagonibooks.com, and then also at um, Amazon slash Robert Dagoni. Um, you know, all the news that's out there, et cetera, or, or that people are interested in, they can, they can find on those pages. Now, I like to close out the podcast with a couple hypotheticals. Robert, if you'd be willing to play along. Um, the, uh, first, I, I wonder, let's say you find yourself in a situation fairly similar to what you put Chaz Jenkins in, in the last agent. So maybe <laughs> hypothetically you get Intel that a former, maybe an adversary turned lifesaver has been captured in Moscow and is probably getting the screws put to him deep inside an FSB prison. 
you decide to attempt a potential rescue and you get to take two uh, fictional investigators, assassins, revenge artists with, with you, other than Charles Jenkins, who, who do you take and why? Oh, wow. That's, that is, uh, <laughs> that is tough. Um, I would probably take Sherlock Holmes because he's so freaking smart. Um, he would, uh, you know, he's a guy that would be able to sort of think his way through things. Um, that would be the first one. And the second one, I would probably take, um, um, oh shoot, um, Arcady, or, uh, from, uh, uh, from Gorky Park, um, Arcady, oh. the, the, uh, investigator, mm -hmm. because he was just sort of relentless in, in his pursuit of justice. So, and, and he's Russian, so he could speak the language <laughs> and he knows the custom. He'll, he'll his last name. I forget Arcady's last name. What a, what a great book, Gorky Park by Martin Cruz Smith. Now, I wonder for this last one, and, and God forbid it should never come to pass. Um, let me rephrase that. God forbid it should ever come to pass. Um, <laughs> but if tomorrow you were to wake up and find that you've been murdered, I wonder what fictional investigator you would assign your own homicide. Hmm. Well, I guess um, if I can say Tracy Crosswhite, mm -hmm. I would say Tracy Crosswhite because um, she's not only relentless, she has a really strong moral and ethical code. And so she would be very um, caring and uh, of my family, which would be, you know, obviously devastated. And so, um, you know, in addition to getting to the, to the bottom of, of the crime, she would do it in a way that um, she'd be very, uh, very caring and understanding of, of, uh, of my family. I greatly appreciate your time and coming on and sharing your expertise with us, Robert. This is a tremendous honor to have you here and I'm, I'm so grateful for you. And also for this story that you put out, The Last Agent is absolutely incredible. And uh, I expect to have it finished probably about 3 a.m. tomorrow. So, <laughs> Well, listen, thank you. It's, it's, uh, it, it was a pleasure, and it was really a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been international acclaimed bestseller Robert Dugoni. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.